the MDT Podcast. Hi, and welcome to this extra special little episode of the MDT. Um, last week, we did an episode on peripheral arterial disease. And uh, we debated a little bit about the difference between peripheral arterial disease and peripheral vascular disease. And part of that debate, we had an interview with Professor Christian Heiss, who is a professor of vascular medicine um, who works in Surrey. And what we thought was that interview, actually, we only gave you a little snippet of that interview and the whole thing was quite interesting. So we thought we would wrap it all up into a special episode and give you the whole interview as a single episode on its own. So here it is. The MDT Podcast. So, Christian, I wondered if we could just start by talking about the use of peripheral vascular disease and peripheral arterial disease as sort of umbrella terms. Well, that's an interesting question. Um, when, when I first came to the UK, um, peripheral vascular disease, PVD, um, uh, it was the first time I realised that people use this term. And um, I, I tried to find out how many people have peripheral artery disease um, in the in, in a cohort of 4 million people in the Royal College of General Practitioners database. And I realized that peripheral artery disease just doesn't show up, but PVD shows up. So usually it appears that that it's the more common term for English physicians um, to, to use. Now, now, what does peripheral artery disease mean? Um, it's basically clogging up of the blood vessels that basically lead the blood from the heart to the toes. And um, as you probably know, in um, um, this, this clogging up of arteries, we, we call it atheroma plaques, plaques that, that can um, develop in many places of the body. And the typical ones are in, the, in your neck, so you can get a stroke from that. In the heart, you get a heart attack. And it can also happen in your, in your pelvis or in your legs. And that leads to either your legs hurt when you walk and you have to stop, we call it claudication. Um, in German, it's actually shopping disease, um, uh, which, which because if if people, um, it kind of looks like when you see the people walk on the street, usually they try to dissimulate um, their symptoms. So they would stop and look at something in a shop. You can, like my little daughter, for example, when she was little and she was too lazy to walk, or um, she said she was so tired, she would find something, oh, let's look at that flower um, every couple of meters. So um, whenever she was had kind of tired legs, she, she claudicated and, and stopped. and. Um, well, the, the maximal version of that is certainly if no blood gets into, into your legs, um, that can lead to rest pain, basically, um, even more when you lift up the legs. could imagine um, um, gravity usually pushes the blood um, down to, to the feet. So if, if you go to bed, suddenly you lift it up, the push is away, and, and suddenly your legs start to hurt when you, when you lay down. Um, and then, for example, if you get a little cut, let's say, in, in your toes, and if not enough blood goes there, it, it just wouldn't heal and get a big infection. You may actually die from, from sepsis. And this is um, what we many times see, kind of like a plant. Think about your, your plant at, at home. And if you want to prune your plant, you want to make sure that you water it properly. And um, uh, I, I guess along that same analogy, uh, analogy um, may be interesting to note, there are some websites that actually con in a way confuse peripheral vascular disease, the arterial side with the venous or other diseases. And um, and even some junior doctors, many times I got called in the past in the middle of the night, come here, here's somebody with an acute ischemia of the leg, a big swollen warm leg. So no, that's wrong. I mean, the result could be the same, like a wound doesn't heal if not enough blood either gets in the leg or out of the leg. Mm. So same thing, think about your plant. If you um, if you put a plant in a, in a plastic cup and don't put a hole, 
the water will just stay in the plant and it will also not grow. So too much is not good, too little is not good, but peripheral artery disease is, is usually more used for the term if not, not enough blood goes in. Yeah, perfect. So peripheral vascular disease then is uh, a combination of that maybe in arterial uh, venous disease and lymphatic disease and the whole are all together as a big umbrella term maybe. But Some people use it as, yeah, like that. Yeah. You're right, you're and, right. But the focus of this episode, as we said, is, is on the arterial side of things. Yes. Yeah. How, however, the things sometimes um, really hang together. I don't know whether you're aware, but um, peripheral artery disease is, is growing worldwide. So 250 million people suffer from it. So a, a lot. Um, and when you look at primary care practices, so when you look at all the people being 65 or older, roughly one quarter of them actually have peripheral artery disease. So why is it not detected? Because more, more than half of them um, uh, don't really know that they have peripheral artery disease. They just feel like I'm getting old and uh, you know I'm not as strong, but, but in reality there's just not enough blood going in their leg. Mm. So why is it not detected? Because it's not so easy to detect. You need to do a, a, kind of like a blood pressure uh, measurement in your leg. We call it ankle brachial index. Let's say blood pressure in the leg, blood pressure in the arm. Usually the same amount of blood should be in your leg and your arm. But if half of the blood only goes to your leg, let's say blood pressure 60 in your legs, 120 in the arms, what we call ABPI is 0.5, 50%. So um, people don't do that because I think GPs are not reimbursed for doing that measurement. However, when do people, me uh, when, when, do you know when, when people measure ABPI? Because if people have swollen legs and they want to put compression stockings, you could imagine that um, um, uh, nurses are required to take this ankle brachial um, measurements before they put compression stockings. So in, in, in this context, now it, it was realized actually that people many times have problems with veins because more than 50% of people have problems with veins when you, when you get older um, and arterial things, which sometimes is a real problem with ulcer healing because you may have fly, uh, um, lice and, and fleas, as we say in, in German. So what we do many times is that we first open up the arteries to actually allow compression from the outside. So that's so many times people have both. Both, yeah. I guess that leads quite nicely. And I wanted to to talk through a case of someone with a with a, an ulcer that's not healing. Mm -hmm. So let's say we we've got a a patient, um, a gentleman who's in his late seventies, who's got a past medical history of maybe hypertension and some quite well controlled diabetes. And not much else, but has, but has had a wound on his lower leg um, that's not healing. And I wondered if you could talk through the way that you might approach him in, in sort of clinical practice. Yeah, so how, how I usually approach um, uh, people like that is kind of keeping in mind, why does a wound not heal? So first of all, the question is, does the wound really not heal? So I would ask, how long do you have the wound? Because I would only call it a non-healing wound if it doesn't heal for three weeks. Mm -hmm. So then we would call it a chronic ulcer. Ulcer is a non-healing wound. And then I would, look, would um, think about what are the reasons for non-healing. So as I said, not enough blood going in, arterial. Not enough blood coming out, venous. Infection or um, kind of the a little less frequent um, things are, um, as you pro probably know, um, nerve damage. And nerve damage, if you have long-standing diabetes, even though it's good controlled, it kind of messes up your nerves. And you may not feel that you... you frequently bump your toe and um, and even the the best toe being bumped enough will get a problem and uh, um, a wound doesn't heal if you bump it all the time mm. so that's number four and number five could be um, that there's which is kind of less frequent um, is cancer 
So now, how do I approach that, that four things? First of all, I, I look at where the wound is. So is it more at pressure exposed areas? For example, typically venous ulcers are rather on the, on the inside of, of, your, um, uh, of your lower leg, kind of where, where your saphena magna runs along where all the perforating veins on, um, would kind of communicate with the deep system. So that's rather a venous one. Plus, if people have venous problems, you can see changes on the skin, um, uh, particularly at, at the ankle. At the ankle level, you get this red discolorations, um, brownish red discolorations. You rather see the so-called um, Corona flebectetica paraplantaris, which is kind of that blue little lines uh, on the inside of, of, of your medial side of the sole of your foot. Then, um, well, then certainly, um, if not enough blood, being warm gets into the leg, the foot feels cold. So just touching the legs it tells me whether it's 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 cold. Then um, certainly which area? If I'm seeing a person that would spend most of, of their time in bed for whatever reasons um, and um, resting their heels on, let's say, uh, a chair, um, and um, I would have a wound there, we would call it a pressure sore, which is just due to the compression because Everybody who has fallen asleep on an airplane, even being 15 years old, um, if you just um, uh, rest your arm long enough um, uh, um, on a chair, it will start hurting. And if you would leave it on for a couple of days, you would get an uh, would get a wound. Yeah. And if you keep it on there, the wound will not heal certainly. So those are the things. Then, then of course, uh, thinking about the uh, nerves, um, uh, we we can test um, how good the nerves work. Either vibration sensitivity, so you kind of take a however it's called in English. It's a uh, it's a tuning fork. Uh, yes, take a yeah. fork and and put it on some bony parts of the foot, and you can you can take it, put a number on it. You can take a filament and you put it at certain places of the foot, and um, just ask, do you feel this? And um, then basically looking at it and seeing whether it's red and inflamed, and um, asking whether the person had fever recently. So now, many times. People do not only have A, B, C, or D. They have a combination of things. So, uh, so I also try to be pragmatic and think about which of those things can I do something about it. What is the leading thing, and what can I treat? So, um, first of well, yes, I would feel the pulse. If I can not feel the pulse, that indicates that potentially not enough blood goes in. If the leg is rather swollen, and when I press my fingers, I can still see my fingers after leaving uh, leaving the ankle. Maybe a maybe rather a venous um, a problem, which could also be to a heart problem, certainly, uh, or to varicosis or a deep vein, a vein from a thrombosis. So, um, so one of the things I I think everybody should get because feeling the pulse is very subjective is to get an um, this so-called ankle brachial index that we had um, that that I mentioned mentioned before. Yeah. And um, again, if it's what we call below ninety point uh, nine, that's 90%, 90%, that would rather suggest that there is something going on in, in the leg. So if it is decreased, um, then I would think about um, what can I do something about. So at least the arterial blockages I can treat with a catheter with at, at a pretty low risk and a, and a, and a pretty high chance of, uh, of success. Um, when you say with a catheter, you mean with a during an angiogram? Yes. Um, so one of the things is um, uh, is certainly one thing we, we can do is um, is we 
how do we, do we visualize the arteries? We can do a computer tomogram, we can do an um, MR scan, um, or just ultrasound, basically. And um, that gives me an idea of where a blockage could be. So once I, I have a decreased pressure, that gives me the diagnosis of a significant arterial problem, then I think, again, in four different categories. The one thing is, how low is the pressure? Is it critical? Because I know a wound needs a little bit more oxygen than a wound, a non-wound, like a healthy skin. So 70 millimeters of mercury would be the pressure I would like to see to, to have a wound um, heal. Plus minus, depending on the study, depending on the person, certainly. Mm -hmm. So question number one, is there significant ischemia? Question number two, um, can I technically fix it? Question number three, are there comorbidities that I, uh, um, uh, that I have to deal with? And number, number, number four, uh, are there any risks doing the procedure? And taking these four things um, together, that helps me to plan a procedure and offer the, the optimal things. And when I talk about comorbidities, certainly, what are the options to open an artery? Either you open it with, with a wire, like doing an angiogram, or you do an operation. Now, an operation is nothing you can just easily do because it, it may be hard on your heart. You have a high chance to get, to get a heart attack, to get wound healing problems. You stay in the hospital for a week, at least, for a bypass. While an angiogram can be done on an outpatient basis. Um, so in, in many situations, um, I would rather lean, in particular, in elderly patients for angiogram. And um, there's big discussion, certainly, between surgeons that, that are good at doing bypasses, they think bypasses are the best thing, and some radiologists that think, oh, angioplasties are the best thing, but at the end you have to decide what's the best for the patient, for mm -hmm. the individual patient. And what is clear that over the last couple of years, the number of, um, of angiograms or angioplasty, which is the procedure to actually open up the arteries then with a catheter, just increase and bypasses either remain the same or get less. and what's the pros and cons just one randomized controlled trial actually comparing it but lots of observational studies all over the world angioplasty is slightly cheaper takes much less time in the hospital has a higher chance of having to be redone so bypasses have a higher chance of complications of the bypass operation like wound healing problems and heart attacks in the hospital so um if you could imagine that there's a person who has a high risk of heart attack and stroke, you would avoid doing um, doing anesthesia or putting them flat in the bed for, for a week. I, th I think those are the layers how, how I, yeah. I try yeah. to approach it. Perfect. Um, and then uh, we, we've talked a little bit in the podcast about risk factor management. Is there anything specific you wanted to, to add to what we said already? Oh, that's, that's actually, a, a, in a way, a simple but also a complex and interesting question. So um, the simple thing is, and that's what we thought until a couple of years ago, that the risk factors seem to be identical with coronary artery disease or with um, um, carotid artery disease, so mm. neck, neck artery disease. And those are the usual sus suspects that we know from the old Framingham study. You, you're yeah. probably aware after World War II in the US, they realized lots of people got heart attacks and strokes. So they've, they, they identified risk factors in Framingham close to, to, to Boston. And they found out, okay, Smoking is, is, the, is, is bad for your arteries, you get plaque. High cholesterol, also bad. High glucose, also bad. High blood pressure. So those are the four things. Plus, the other classical risk factor is male sex. But, but then we realize that there's certainly more to it. For example, it's not only cigarette smoking, it's exposure to particles. So if you're exposed to from particles from smoke or from 
passive smoking or from living next to a street may be actually very similar. Hmm. The more recent research actually suggests that um, when you look at genetic determinants of why do you get, let's say, a stroke, uh, this person gets a stroke, this person a heart attack, this person gets a stroke and a heart attack and an ulcer at the leg. So why? Why? Um, is it the same? Um, and in a, in a pretty large study, they identified 19 genetic loci, of which 13 were similar between carotid, heart and leg. And they were all related to the to cholesterol transport, cholesterol receptors, inflammation, all this this kind of kind of things. But there were some some things which I thought really interesting that were specific to peripheral artery disease to the legs. And the one thing was a gene related to nicotine addiction. So um, is, uh, which which I wasn't aware of. Um, that means potentially the people that smoke and get peripheral artery disease actually have a predisposition to be addicted to nicotine much more. Um, so that would actually make us think differently about those people and not just saying quit smoking because they may actually be the the people that have the hardest time to quit smoking. Yeah. Um, and the other thing which, which is interesting actually for the medical management of this uh, risk factors um, is the thrombin um, uh, receptor. Um, actually the, the um, factor 5 Leiden um, mutation. And um, so taken together just like people haven't had a heart attack or having coronary artery disease or a stroke, it is clear that we need to get the blood pressure under control, we need to control the cholesterol, we need to control the diabetes, we, we need to get the people to quit smoking and to exercise more and to eat healthy. Those are things overall. However, it, it appears that specific treatment may actually be necessary. For example, the aspirin that works really well for prevention in the heart seems to be working less well actually for the legs mm. and not only for the legs but also for heart attack rate in people with peripheral artery disease because as i said be before the um, having peripheral artery disease also carries a large risk to also have have coronary artery disease and uh, actually to die from heart attack and from stroke um, and just talking about mortality which is one of the things that actually drives me a lot and one of the the the, the figures that like shown at, at all conferences basically when you compare the rate of mortality in people with common cancers like lung cancer um, really diseases you definitely do not want to have um, you can see that soon as you see an ulcer in a patient and an ulcer that is due to peripheral artery disease the the chances of being dead in three years is more than 70 percent which is very, very similar to, to, to many common, uh, common cancers. Um, and um, um, what, are, what are the reasons these this people die? It's sepsis, which can be due to, to the infection, Jesus. heart attack, stroke. Those are kind of the major um, things that, that, um, uh, that happen. So it's a complex um, yeah. um, like thing. A, almost like a herald illness. Something that, it is, it is. Yeah. You're right. Perfect. And then leading on from that, I think it would be quite nice just to have a brief word about any new horizons, anything that's, that you think might change people's practice going forwards in the next sort of five, ten years? Yeah, as, as, I, as I mentioned, um, there's, uh, to me there, there are two things. Um, and of course I'm an interventionalist and, uh, and I'm, um, I'm, I'm passionate about um, opening up um, arteries with, uh, with uh, catheters. However, that's not the whole story. You basically just open up an artery if you're lucky and 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 um uh, and the anatomy um uh, helps you and you're really happy that the people suddenly are out of 
pain and um, makes you really feel good about your job as a, as a doctor and having chosen that path um, um, for, uh, for your life. However, you don't stop the process. You don't stop the artery disease to progress. And um, so certainly medical management, um, because I'm an internist also, and um, not just an interventional radiologist, um, it's important to think about that. And we, we start to realize that there's specific treatments that may actually work in people with peripheral artery disease much better. And um, rivaroxaban, for example, which is a direct thrombin um, inhibitor, which we used to only use to keep the blood from clotting in, let's say, atrial fibrillation um, after deep venous thrombosis, we realized that um, if you take just a little bit of that uh, of that drug, you can prevent amputations and mm. heart attacks um, really well in in this uh, in this patients. And um, uh, there was um, uh, a series of very well conducted um, uh, studies. Um, the the Compass trial was very published very well in many journals and um, showed these results. But um, we will get in March this year new results from the so-called Voyager study. And um, in that study, it will show whether this medication actually after an angioplasty also will help um, yeah. to, to, to prevent re-occlusion of, of arteries. And do so, you think that's going to be down to its effect on thrombin? I, I'm actually not sure about that. I'm not sure whether the effect is really due to the effect on anticoagulation, because we know for a long time given warfarin to, to patients does not really help them That's with the bypass. Yeah. Um, I personally think it, it may be an effect on the thrombin receptor and a vascular inflammation is, is, a, is a big topic um, in the further progression of this and also inhibition of healing after, after um, doing procedures. So um, um, that, that would be actually the, the second frontier that I would see. The, the one thing is the specific treatment for peripheral artery disease. But uh, the second thing is more thinking along the lines of um, treating the, the, the basis of the disease or um, even enhancing the regenerative capacity of, um, uh, of, of the body. One of the things I'm really interested in is so-called arteriogenesis, um, which actually describes the process where the body can form their own bypasses um, uh, in, 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 the, uh, in the legs. And um, we know that exercise training basically enhances the growth of, of collateral um, collateral blood vessels in, um, in the legs. How cool would it be if we could get the body to form their own bypasses and um, um, potentially with a medical therapy, maybe do an exercise training and given a drug that facilitates the process. So if you would exercise, um, the body would know in which places um, there's not enough blood and potentially specifically target these regions in the body to form either form the bypasses or prevent restenosis uh, or occlusion of these arteries. So very specific treatments, I think, um, uh, will be the very exciting um, thing. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> the MDT Podcast.